one of the things that, that I enjoy learning about uh, are different social groups and why they do what they do and why they dress the way they dress and say the things they say and so on. Now, you probably have some interest in this because you're around different social groups as well. You're around people who are older, people who are middle-aged, uh, people who maybe are, let's say, uh, 20-somethings. You're around maybe teenagers, children. There are different social groups, and it's always interesting to me to find out uh, what, what they're about. I remember as a youth pastor, uh, we would have uh, quite a few kids that would come to our high school ministry service on a Wednesday night, and I could tell you exactly where every group was going to sit. Uh, you, you, had, uh, you had certain groups that would sit in certain spots, and, and, and I'll pick on the folks in the far back over here. Uh, those were the folks that, quite honestly, they never paid any attention. So, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate this group that sits over there. They pay attention, all right? It makes me feel a little better. But in all seriousness, I could tell you where everyone was, was going to sit. Uh, and it was amazing to watch. Every single week, they'd all come in, and, uh, you know, we, we, we joke about how we're all creatures of habit. Now, some of you sit in the same spot every week. Some of you do. I look around. I know exactly where you're going to be. I know. I, I can tell you. Uh, but, but teenagers are no different. They sit in the same spots every week, too. You know, we're all creatures of habit. And it was amazing just to see the groups gravitate uh, toward one another and see what they did together and, uh, and so on. What's interesting to me is that in any particular social group, you have this mentality that we want to be different from everyone else. Uh, young people are especially great about this. They, they don't want to be with that particular group or this particular group, but the group they're with, they all look alike. And I think you don't want to be like anybody else, but you look like this group. Or you look like this group over here. You all dress the same, you talk the same, you like the same thing. It's amazing to me um, that we have these little cultures within society. You realize that, that that's not just out there somewhere. It's, it's in the church as well. We have little cultures. I'm not talking about cliques and people who don't get along. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about we in the church, we have our own subculture. We have our little Christian culture. Uh, there's a great website, and if you have opportunity to go to it this week, uh, I, uh, write, write it down and just check it out. Now, some of you may be offended by what's on it. The guy's a Christian author. He's incredibly great, uh, and he's a solid Christian man. But he says some things about Christianity that are really uh, interesting. The, the website is stuffchristianslike.net, stuffchristianslike.net. He talks about everything from we like side hugs Instead of giving somebody a real hug, you know, we kind of come up and give them a little side hug. You know, we, we like different things. He, he says one of them, we like saying, bless her heart. When you're trying to, to not really get on somebody, but you don't really have anything great to say. You know, you know, she's just not the sharpest tool in the shed, bless her heart. She's just, oh, I tell you what, he, uh, you know, he, he, well, he tries hard, but it just didn't work and bless his heart. You know, we, we're insulting somebody, we bless his heart, we throw that on there as if that kind of makes it a little bit better, you know. We like those, th that's kind of what his website is about, stuff we like to do as Christians. That sort of highlights our little Christian subculture that, that we've created. He says one of them is uh, saying, I'll pray for you, but never doing it. You know, you've, you've been guilty, <laughs> don't look at me now, you know where I sit, but don't look at me. You know, it, it's, it's interesting how we do that all the time. Well, you listen to somebody pour their heart out, I'll pray for you, and you never do. You know, and then I've told you before, you see them the next week at church, and you, you say a quick prayer for them so you don't have to lie to them and say, I've been praying for you. You know, and now listen, I know, I, I'm just as human as you are. We like those, that's what we do. Uh, you know, some of what he's got on his website, it's pretty funny. He's got about 1,200 of these little blurbs that he's written. You know, we like this and we like that. If, you, if you're in for some interesting and, 
and humorous and, and a little convicting. I have to admit to you, information, you ought to check him out this week. His name is John Acuff, uh, A-C-U-F-F, and it, it's pretty interesting. Uh, some of those things that we do as Christians are kind of humorous. We just have our own habits and we do stuff like that. You know, others, others really aren't. Uh, our Christian subculture uh, has conditioned us to believe and to say and to do certain things within that, that culture. Uh, we, we see it this morning at church. We see the way that we dress. Uh, for the most part, you probably got up this morning, and unless you're really bold, you decided to wear something that you probably wouldn't stand out in too much. You said, well, I'm not going to dress up like the preacher dresses up. You know, it's July and it's kind of hot. I don't like wearing a tie anyway. I'm not going to go that far, but you know, I'm not bold enough to just wear what I would want to wear and just to be comfortable. So you're kind of somewhere in between. We play these games in our minds, do we not? You probably struggled over what to wear a little bit this morning. I don't know. You know, is that too, you know, is that too much? Should I wear this? Should I wear? Some of you just got your Sunday stuff and it's over in one side of your closet. You pull it out once a week and you wear it. That's okay too, you know. But, but we have these things in our appearance that we, in our subculture, we're, not, we're afraid to go a little too far with this or that. In our prayers, we, we sometimes we pray certain things because we know they're acceptable. We pray about certain elements or whatever. We have sort of a routine prayer that we pray, and that's good. Maybe in your Sunday school class this morning, you've been with that person in Sunday school so long, you could quote their prayer. You know exactly what they're going to pray and who they're going to pray for and in what order they're going to pray for. We have those things. We also have, unfortunately, some, some sayings within Christian subculture that that when people maybe are going through a very difficult time, we say certain things because we're conditioned to do so that may or may not be really helpful. This week, I, I had the privilege uh, of walking with a particular family through the loss of a father and grandfather and, and also got information about a young boy in our community who's dealing with leukemia. What do you say? What do, you, I mean, what do you say in those times when you have a tragic event that takes place and a young boy is diagnosed with leukemia? Do you say the same things that Christians always say? Well, you'll be all right. Really? Well, you just, just let go and let God. Well, that works on a bumper sticker. That doesn't work in real life all the time, does it? You know, when a, when a child is, is taken, this young boy dealing with leukemia, Great news is there's a, there's a great cure rate on what he's got. But, but when a child is taken, do you say, well, God just must have needed another angel? What? Really? We say these, you hope, I hope you understand where I'm coming from. We have these things that we, we don't know what to do. And then what we impose on those people dealing with those issues is that it's not okay to really feel that. It's not okay to go through that. You just need to pretend like it's not really happening in your life. And maybe you've had that happen to you. And you've been dealing with something that's tragic or very serious in your life and scary. And unfortunately, maybe from Christian subculture, all you've gotten is a bunch of bumper stickers. And you say, is that all there is to this thing? Isn't there some way other that I can deal with this? We've learned, unfortunately, and been conditioned to say and to think that Life really doesn't affect us as Christians. We've learned not to express how it really affects us. We, we've learned to act like we have it all together. But I guarantee you this morning, if you were to peel back my layers, and I could peel back yours, and we could look at one another in honest fashion, we would realize we don't have it all together. Not a single one of us.
even the ones that have been Christians for so long, you don't know how to act any other way than just say, well, yeah, hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's interesting when you peel back the layers. You know our sayings in Christian subculture, our pretending that nothing is wrong, those things have nothing to do with what's really in the Bible. I think if we were to truly read the Bible and let it speak for what it is, we'd be shocked at some of the things that we find out are there. One of those things I hope to both shock you with in a good way and to allow the Lord to use this morning is found in Psalm chapter 13. Turn with me to Psalm 13. The book of Psalms toward the middle of your Bible, so if you're not familiar with Scripture, just kind of, if you got a Bible there, turn toward the middle, you'll see the book of Psalms, and look in chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible, we'll put the words on the screen. I hope that you will bring one. I think it's important for you to have one. If you don't have a Bible, please let us know. Seriously, we would be happy to get you one. Psalm chapter 13, let's look at it together. Lord, how long will you continually forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord, my God. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him. My, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. It's a short psalm. Six verses. But, but quite powerful. I hope that it will speak to us this morning. We're continuing a series uh, called Triumph Through the Tears. And it's a series based upon what are known as the Lament Psalms, the Psalms that, that pour out a complaint or pour out a heart toward God when things are not going well. The Lament Psalms dominate the Psalms. Really, they are the category when, which has more Psalms than any of the others. And so it's evident that this is something that God wants us to pick up on, that this is a natural part of life, to lament, to pour out your heart, to be sorrowful. It is a natural part of the human existence in a fallen and sinful world. Things are going to get pretty close to home this morning because as we see here, this is a very honest look at what really goes on in life. I'm not going to ask you, just so you know, to stand up and give us your testimony and pour out your heart and... Now, you know, we'll start over here and we just go around and everybody has, you know, maybe I won't get to you guys in the back by the time we're done, all right? You sat there, all right? But, but maybe I'll start in the back and we'll, we'll work our way up. But, but I'm not going to do that this morning. But I hope that you will be honest before the Lord. I hope that you'll take to heart what we're looking at. These verses may even really describe where you are right now. This may be a psalm that you say, I could have written that down this morning, this week. I hope that this morning we'll bust through some of the Christian subculture that says it's not okay to feel and it's not okay to deal with life. Because it's evident in a psalm that is attributed to King David, a man after God's own heart, that he says, God, why have you forgotten me? What do you do when, it, when you feel as if God has forgotten you? I believe Psalm 13 gives us three things that you have permission to do. 
you have permission to do these things when it feels as if God has forgotten you. The first is to be honest. This may be the hardest one. Be honest. Look at what the psalmist says in verses 1 and 2. If you want to bracket this in your Bible, I've broken it down, verses 1 and 2, for be honest. Kind of breaks down into three different sections here. What is repeated in Psalms, Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2? What phrase is it? Do you see it? Look at it real quick. There's something that's repeated four times. Just look at it in your Bible. There's a little two-word phrase. There it is on the screen again. Thank you. How long? Four times. He says it, how long? How long? How long? How long? You get the idea that he's been weighed down by the issues of life for quite a while. And, and he's, he's thinking that there's no sign of God's help. And because of how long it has been, he feels and wonders, well, I guess, I guess God, you've, you've forgotten that I even exist. How long? How long? We've all experienced the same thing. You've been frustrated with God. Maybe you are this morning. And beyond frustration, you've been just flat angry with God. You've been in despair before. Well, there, there, what's the point in even going forward? There's no hope. I mean, if God has forgotten me, then what, what, what's the point in living? You've been there before at some time in your life, maybe even now. You've had those intense emotional times where not only is it intense emotionally, but you're at the bottom of those emotions. I mean, you can seem to go no lower than where you are. He says, how long will you continually forget me? That word forget there is, is not just something, well, God's busy and he's just, you know, he's kind of forgotten what I'm dealing with. That, that's not the point. That word forget, when it pertains to God, David here says, God, how long will you intentionally neglect me? It's a word of intent. God doesn't just randomly forget things. <laughs> David knows that. He says, how, God, how long, God, will you intentionally ignore me, intentionally overlook me? How long? As I said, maybe you could have written this song. How long will it happen? Lord, how long will you hide your face? That's a term that means maybe God is angry. He's turning away in his anger from me. What, what's going on, Lord, he says? How long will you hide your face, be indifferent to what is happening to me? How long, Lord, will I be alienated from you? Separated, it seems. How long will you withhold your practical help in my life? How long, he says. How long will I store up anxious concerns? In verse 2, you get the idea here that David, the psalmist, is trying to figure it out. You've been there? You had something happen? And you try to figure out, how do I get out of this? What's the answer? What do I do? How do I move forward? David says, look, I've got anxious concerns, anxious thoughts, agony in my mind. He says, I'm, I'm trying everything, Lord. I've tried to figure this out. How long is that going to continue? He says, because I can't find the solution. Maybe you felt that before. How long, he says, will my enemy dominate me? We don't get an indication here of what specific enemy he's talking about, but maybe it was a sickness. Maybe it was a potential death and and he, he felt that. Maybe he, he, he had people lining up against him to attack him. Maybe it was just problems that he felt like were in line to go after him. I don't know what your enemies are this morning, but maybe you can relate to David. How long will they dominate me? 
how long will this stuff last? Lord, you get the idea in verses 1 and 2 that, that he's really, really dealing with it. Did he truly believe that God had forgotten him? I, I can't say for sure, but it sure felt like it to him. You may say, you know what, deep down, I, I know, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I know God has not forgotten me, but it sure feels that way. What do you do? <laughs> David is honest. God, will, will it be forever? Is this continual? Is this ever going to end? Uh, where are the blessings, Lord, that you promised? Where, where, where are those blessings? What have I done wrong? If you've asked those questions. You know, David here, interestingly enough, gives no confession of sin. He doesn't apologize to the Lord for anything. What does that tell you? He can't see anything in his life that he's done wrong that now as a result God has brought this discipline into his life because of a certain situation. He says, I, I can't figure this out. I don't know what I've done. It's interesting that he just complains to God in a very honest manner. He looks at God and he says, it appears, Lord, you've been unkind to me. That you, that you haven't been faithful to me, Lord. That's what it appears like. He, he complains to God about the anxiety and the depression that he now deals with because of a situation in life. And he complains about being alone and being at wit's end. I can't figure this out. He complains about being tormented inside. And he complains about the enemies that seem to line up against him. And if we see in the Bible that David, as I said, who God said was a man after God's own heart, if he can be this honest, why aren't we? Seriously. That's not a rhetorical question. Why are we so scared to be that honest with God? Why do we continue to hide what's happening in our lives? And again, I'm not talking about parading you up here and making you tell everybody here, but with God himself, why, why, do, believe, why do we believe we should just figure out how to handle it all? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get through this, I guess, somehow. Why are we afraid that some lightning bolt will strike us if we truly say to God what's on our minds? You realize the truth is, He already knows. You can't hide it anyway. Why do we, why do we let this superficial, this fake mentality invade our churches and our homes? I, I cannot fathom why we do that. Maybe it's because the Christian subculture just doesn't allow it, but Scripture gives you permission to be honest if you ever wonder, why do we produce superficial and fake Christians in our churches and our homes, I wonder if at least part of it comes back to the fact that in our subculture, we have not given them the permission to be honest. and say, I'm struggling with this. I have doubts about this. I'm not sure I understand that. This hurts what's going on. We don't necessarily allow one another or our children as they grow to be honest with God and with us. And as young children, I'll say this. Their perception of God, whether we like it or not, is shaped largely, especially early, by parents. And so if you're a parent of a young child, of a young person, and trust me, I, I say this in dealing with four, let them be honest. Let them tell you their struggles. Let them tell you their doubts. Let them ask their questions over and over and over. And as they grow, Instead of saying, no, you fit into subculture, you don't, you don't admit these things, allow them to express their doubts, both to you and certainly and primarily to the Lord. Because if not, all we'll produce is a bunch of superficial and fake Christians 
who don't truly know and love the Lord because they figure he can't handle my stuff. We have to learn to be honest. I wonder when the last time was that you were honest like David is in this psalm. What stops you? You realize that hiding all that stuff before the Lord only makes it worse. Those anxious concerns just build up. It hasn't helped you, I'm sure. But you have permission, according to the Scripture, to be honest about what is going on with you. To be honest with this church. To be honest with me and mostly to be honest with God. Lord, here's what I'm dealing with. And I don't like it. And I don't understand it. You have permission to be honest. Not only that, but permission to be bold. Verses 3 and 4, you want to bracket it again in your Bible. Be bold. He says, consider me. He's calling out to the Lord here. He's not saying, Lord, um, you know, if, if it's okay, if you're not doing too much right now, God, if it's not too big of a problem, would you? you know, I need a little time. He's not saying that. He turns to the Lord after his complaint and says, consider me, look at me, pay attention to me, take notice of what I'm going through. Lord, listen to me. He's pleading for God's help. He's pleading, Lord, I believe you've hidden your face from me. I need you to turn. I need you to stop doing that and look at me. He said, I don't, I don't know if I can pray that kind of prayer. That's what's going on in your heart anyway. That's what's going on in your mind anyway. David simply writes down and expresses to us, here's what's already happening, Lord, I need your attention. Lord, I need you involved in my life. He says, consider me, and then he says, an answer. Give me some positive message, Lord, that reassures me that you are still with me and for me. Not some sign that comes from heaven, but Lord, speak to me. Tell me something good. Tell me you haven't forgotten me. Tell me you haven't abandoned me. Verse 3, restore brightness to my eyes. This is the outward effect of God's inward blessing. Brightness in the eyes signifies good health. And he's saying, Lord, restore my strength. Lord, lift me back up. That it shows even on the outside what's happened to me on the inside. Lord, I need you to brighten my eyes again. My head's down, Lord. All I've got are tears. Lord, brighten my eyes. And he says, Lord, if, if you don't do those things, I'm going to die. You felt that? You've been there? Don't, you don't have to nod your head to everybody around you say, here we go with our Christian self. You've been there? You felt like you are just going to die? Because, Lord, what's the point? He says, I will sleep in death. All those things and those people that line up around me, they're going to figure, ha, huh, he doesn't really serve the Lord. She doesn't really love God. Told you. My enemies will claim victory. They'll, they will have appeared to one. And he says, I will be shaken. You get the idea of a boxer in the ring. You ever watch any boxing? Maybe some of you are into uh, MMA now. The ultimate fighting championship stuff. And you see those guys and they're going out. And one guy gets punched. And he kind of staggers around a little bit. And he's trying to stand up. But he's, he's slowly going down. He says in the scripture, I am shaken. Staggering just like a boxer that's been punched right between the eyes. And Lord, it's just a matter of time before I'm on the canvas and they're counting me out. He said, Lord, if you don't answer me, if you don't look to me, this is what's going to happen. And he says, essentially, Lord, all of this is going to look bad on you. He says, Lord, your honor is at stake here. 
I'm your servant. Your honor is at stake. Lord, my enemies are going to say, ha, look at him. Look at the God he serves. It's a very bold prayer. I wonder when the last time was you were bold with the Lord. I'm not talking about commanding and telling God what he must do. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is going before the Lord in a bold manner with honesty. I wonder what you're afraid of. What keeps you from doing that? You have permission to be honest, to be bold before the Lord, and you also finally have permission to be encouraged. The third little section of this is really what the whole psalm builds toward. This is the crescendo at the end. David is honest, he's bold, and then he writes about his encouragement in verses 5 and 6. He says, I have trusted in your faithful love. His problems are still there. There's nothing between verses 4 and 5 that says that God has done anything. That says God has now drawn him out of that. Now, I don't know exactly when David wrote all of this and what happened between verses 4 and 5 or if he wrote it all together, but there's no indication that God did anything that David had asked him to do. He says, but I have trusted there are certainly questions about what God is doing. <laughs> God, what you have to? There's certainly a little uneasiness still about what's going to happen. Those anxious concerns in verse 2 are still there. But he has trusted God before, and he says, I will continue to do so even in this. In his depression, in his anxiety, he says, I will still trust you. I will still rely on you in it all. I will still depend on you no matter what. I will place my confidence in you regardless of what I face. He says in verse 5, My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. If you're making a note in your Bible, the word deliverance there means salvation. And it's really the same exact word that the name of Jesus comes from. Yeshua in the Hebrew. That's His name. Salvation. He says, I have trusted i will rejoice in your deliverance your salvation you realize god's salvation is the story of the bible you see this this old testament event when god leads his people out of slavery in egypt into the promised land story of god's deliverance of his salvation and that even in itself what a great event it was is just a foreshadowing just a precursor to what god will do in the form of jesus christ when he comes and dies on a cross And Jesus, even his name, means God's salvation. And he opens the floodgates of grace and his salvation through Jesus Christ. David looked back at the Exodus and he looked forward to the Messiah and said, I will trust in your past and your future salvation. We have the great privilege today of looking back not only at the Exodus, but also at Jesus Christ and saying, yes, God has been faithful. Yes, he has provided his salvation over and over and over. And we look forward to where it says in the book of Revelation, that He will one day return and deliver us from all that we face. He says, I rejoice in your deliverance, your salvation. Jesus came to do what God did essentially and figuratively in a lot of ways in the Exodus. Jesus came to lead us out of the slavery of sin and out of its penalty and out of its power and lead us to eternal life in Him. David highlights the fact that there is, in fact, and indeed, salvation in the Lord, but only in Him. 
Everything else is going to fail him in verses 1 through 4. Everything. He can't figure out a way to get out of it. There's no one really that can help him. Who does he have to turn to? The God of salvation. His salvation, as I just mentioned, has already come. There's nothing that you need to do to earn it or to make it happen. There's no plan you can conceive of that will now bring God's salvation. You simply need to receive it by faith, which involves turning from sin and trusting in Jesus, giving your whole life to Him. You say, well, well maybe I've already done that. And continue to trust in God's salvation. It's not just an event that happened a long time ago that maybe was followed by your baptism and you say, well, I guess I was saved then. Absolutely you were and purchased for all eternity, but God's salvation still has an effect for you as a Christian today. Not just then, but continuing today. His salvation is still just as real to you today as the moment you were converted to faith in Jesus Christ. It still has an effect. Don't let your salvation end Way back there in your mind. Let it be lived out today in God's deliverance and calling on Him and running to Him. Even today to say, I still hope in your salvation. I still believe in who you are. For the psalmist, God knows, he knows that God's salvation is really what he needs. He needs the assurance that God still cares. He, he needs victory over his circumstances and over his enemies. He needs his depression and anxiety to be taken away. And the salvation of God, as he ends with this, that's what handles all of it. As Christians, believers in Jesus, we have all that we need when we feel like God has forgotten us. And his name is Jesus Christ. We have all that we need in him. Our salvation, Jesus, he takes care of what we need. So trust him. Even through your tears. And he says, Finally, I will sing to the Lord because He has treated me generously. He's my Father. He's good. He's treated me generously. Completeness, that, that idea of running over. At the end, when the psalmist has been honest, when he's been bold before the Lord, he now encourages us with his words as he turns his attention to the one he trusts. As I don't have anything to be encouraged about but in you, Lord. The one who's able to handle everything he faces. I wonder, could you write this psalm? It's only six verses. Say, I'm not a writer. Well, it's only six verses. Pretty short. But boy, isn't it powerful. I, I could have written that, you say. I've got so many things going on in my life. I, I, could, I could have written that. I wonder, are you willing to be honest with the Lord this morning? Are you willing to be bold? Do, do you want encouragement from the Lord? you first must know that, that victory over your issues is not found in plans to escape from your issues. The psalmist says, I've got anxious concerns. I've tried to formulate a plan, but we see that doesn't work. It's not found in trying to formulate a way out, but it's found only. Victory is found only in Jesus Christ, only in the salvation of God. That victory, that salvation comes only from the Lord, and is only, let me tell you this, only for those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. You want victory in your life. It cannot come, and it will not come, 
Though you may be fooled into thinking it has, it will not come, and one day we'll find out in all eternity, it will not come apart from Jesus Christ. You don't have to get mad at me for saying that. The Bible has made that very, very clear. You want God's victory in your life? You want His presence in your life? His reassurance? You want eternal life to be forgiven of your sins? It only comes through Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that also, yes, your victory is found not in your plans, but only in the Lord, that salvation only comes from Him. But you have permission this morning. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. If no one else gives you permission, then I will say as the pastor of this church, on behalf of our people and on behalf of my Lord Jesus Christ, you have permission to be honest and to be bold, but also permission to receive the Lord's encouragement in the midst of all that. In just a minute, we're going we're gonna to close the sermon with a little bit, uh, something a little different. I'm not going to make you stand up and tell your story. But I want to give you permission this morning to be honest, and to be bold, and to receive the Lord's encouragement. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kneel down right here. Because I've got things in my life I need to be honest with the Lord about. And things, quite honestly, that, that I need to be bold before the Lord about. And I need the Lord's encouragement this morning. But I'm not going to ask you to come gather around me and pray, Lord, please encourage our pastor. That's not what I'm looking for. What I'm saying is I'm going to kneel down right here in just a minute, and I wonder, I wonder who would be willing to join me and say, let's kneel together before the Lord, and let's be honest. I'll give you a moment, a few moments to just pray. I wonder who would come and say, I, I need to be honest, and I also need to be bold before the Lord. God, this is what I need from you. But you say, you know what, in all of that, I really do want the encouragement of Jesus Christ. You may not be physically able to get up and to kneel down here, and that's fine. Don't feel a single ounce of, of guilt or anything if you don't or can't get up. But I want you to have the freedom and permission this morning to say, I need to be honest with God. I need to be bold, and I need His encouragement. And I'll come and kneel. And what I'll do is I'll just give you a few moments to pray, and all I'm going to do at the end of that time is I'm going to read that psalm over us. Not because of anything of, of my words, obviously, but because that's what we need. Maybe the only thing you can pray this morning is Psalm chapter 13. And you just receive that. I would, would love it if someone close to you, if they get up to come and kneel, if, if maybe you're a close friend of theirs or you see they're walking alone, just join them and come down and pray with them. I'm not trying to fill this altar to make me feel better this morning about this sermon. If no one comes, that's fine. I'll kneel by myself and I'll read that psalm over this church and that's fine. I want to give you permission this morning. So I'm going to kneel and you'll join me. Danny's going to play just a little bit. We'll have a time here of prayer. Then we'll stand and we'll sing a closing song. So if you'd like, please join me.